Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Welcome to Change the Narrative, where we have conversations that we do through the mental health lens. This is my co-host, Susie Unger, who is an LMFT, and she's going to introduce our guest today. Thanks, J.D. First, I want to introduce Julie Stern. The article that was published Monday, October 24th, 2020, says it all about her. Quote, a profile in leadership and humanity, humility, and hard work. Julie has risen from intern to PA to running production for major networks, such as OWN, Lifetime, and companies like Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine. And if that isn't impressive enough, Oprah and the Duchess of York named her the general. We are thrilled to have her today as one of our guests. And we have Colonel Aquilo. Colonel went from a successful Hollywood actor with roles in Star Trooper to Who's the Boss to executive producing and directing some of our guiltiest pleasures, shows like Millionaire Matchmaker and Kathy Griffin, Life on the D-List. He's currently executive producer of The Prophet on CNBC and co-executive producing, along with Julie Stern, the first virtual age march in history sponsored by Revitalash. Additionally, Colonel teaches film and is passionate about his role as a mentor to young Hollywood. Welcome, you guys. Thank you. Truly appreciate you being here. And I have to admit, one of my guilty pleasures was Millionaire Matchmaker. I said it aloud for everybody to hear. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask some basic questions for those of us who aren't in the business and don't know enough about it. Um, you can help us figure it out together. So the first question is, what is a Hollywood producer? What do you do? I'll take that one. Oh, okay. Um, a Hollywood producer is several different things. It's different if you're talking about film, producing in film and, or motion pictures. It's different if you're talking about television. It's different if you're talking about live events. Sometimes the producer role you'll hear about is the person that has to raise the money. Mm-hmm. And sometimes on feature films, that is the case. A lot of time in television, the show is procured and bought by a network. And that's where the funding comes from. And if they like the idea, they'll hire the production company to produce it. They'll fund them the money based on a budget and they'll go produce the show. So I'm often asked that question and it's, it's just difficult to answer unless somebody, a more specific question to ask. Wouldn't you agree, Colonel? It's- Absolutely. Uh, I tell everyone you know, because I get asked that even by my, you know, my mom asks me that like once a week, like, what, what do you do? And, uh, and I'm like, I just, I tell everyone, if you throw a rock at a TV set, you're going to hit a producer. And, and they all do different <laughs> things. Like they, there's, I primarily work in TV. So as a showrunner, 
you're responsible to kind of oversee the entire project from kind of ideation to successful completion and delivery. But then within that, there's, there's like this hierarchy of a team of producers that helm their different departments. And then, and it trickles down to where you have your crews and you have all your stuff. So, and these producers are, some of them are straight up creative, literally scripting things out. I mean, producers in TV are writers, you know, and all the way to, you have like the people who are producers who handle all the money, like Julie was saying and do that. So there, it's just, once again, just building off what you said, Julie, it's, it is, you have to get more specific. What kind of producer are we talking about? Because it's, it, there are so many. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a, a follow-up question. Yeah. How does the executive producer position land in that whole sea of producers you just described? Oh, for me? Um, so th- th- once again, there are kind of different kinds of executive producers also. I'm an executive okay. producer generally, but I'm a showrunner. So, so I'm very hands-on with the production part of it. Now, there are also executive producers who kind of develop the project or create the project or finance the project, and they're less hands-on with it. They're more kind of, they bring on a showrunner who, who kind of helms it through. But then, and then those executive producers are, I mean, they can be in various degrees of even kind of c- contribution to the project to where you never even hear from them. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's great. No, it's really helpful, believe it or not. And then Julie, anything to add to that? I would just say that when it comes to an executive producer, um, let's say I'm a buyer and I, you know, I do have a lot of network experience. So an executive producer would tie himself to talent, let's say a star or a house, you know, somebody that he wants to pitch a show with and he'll come in and he's an executive producer and he'll hire an executive producer or a showrunner, as Colonel was saying. And that person runs interference with the network. They're dealing day to day with um, um, with issues. They're they're the liaison okay. between the third party company, let's say, who's producing it, and the network. It's a very admirable job because they wear so many hats, and for the network, it's got to be seamless to us. Yeah, that's amazing. We give you the money. We want to, you know, we, um, and we want to see a product that we also, it's important uh, to keep the door open and keep that conversation going so the producer feels that they have an ear. So you do wear a lot of hats. One day you're maybe trying to find money or you're over budget or your talent calls in sick um, or you need to let somebody go or there's so many elements to it. So when you think about how you became a producer, was it something you aspired to be from the beginning? How did it happen? And both of you. So Julie, you want to go first? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, um, as I mentioned in the Forbes article, it's been in my blood forever. My dad was in the business behind the camera. So I was always privy to seeing how things were made. How did they do the lighting? How did they, I mean, just everything. And he would bring home movie projectors and, you know, he, he, they used his cameras on many, many high profile films. And so I just learned a lot on the technical side and the rest is history. I want to be a producer. I want to be a director. Um, but I, I wow. knew I needed to produce, so I understood the financial side of it. Okay. So, you know, I'm directing now and producing and executive producing and it's great. That's great. Colonel, how'd you find your way? Uh, I, I, when I, I started off as an actor out of high school and, um, and so 
I've been in the industry since I was 18 years old professionally. And then after, but after like 10 years of doing the slog of the acting thing, I then went to, I went back to school, went to film school and it was there. And it just made sense to me, all the language, because I'd learned even, you know, without knowing it, I'd learned the language of television and film by, by being an actor. I'd kind of like just learned it. I was around it. And so being going through film school was easy for me in that sense. And then, and I came out wanting to be a director also, but I had produced so many little short films in college. And so right out of college, it was the, that's the first jobs I got was producing. And I directed some like multi-camera stuff, but then, but really came up through the, the story side and producing. And that's how I got to where I'm at right now. Okay. Bigger question now. When you think about your journey, what was the scariest, even most traumatic experience you've had in the process of being a producer? I'll give you a second to think about it. What's happened that really just kind of shook you? And you tried to, it just kind of made you question everything, if you will. I know, it's it's hard. I mean, if I, you know, want to jump in while he's still... Yeah, go for it. There are a lot of scary moments yeah. when you're responsible for everything. You have to, we talked earlier about wearing different hats, mm-hmm. but you really need to finesse the work that you do and who you are when you interact with people. You're, if you're dealing with talent, there's a certain finesse you need, but you need to be honest. You know, you, you test the room out. Um, if it's a crew person or a fellow network executive, you really need to be aware of how you're presenting yourself mm-hmm. um, and always have an ear for people. I, for me, I would say nothing scared me. I had some pretty exciting but traumatic moments. Yeah. I was there when Michael Jackson's hair caught on fire at the Pepsi commercial. That's pretty, that's pretty traumatic, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't traumatic, but I was just there. So it's one of those things that popped up. But I will be honest, I think when I left Lifetime, after so many great years, and Owen called and asked me to come and oversee production, it was a very big undertaking, mm-hmm. three months from, from launching the network. It was scary. But I, you, know, you had to expand your way of thinking. Right. And I felt confident that I had the tools and that I was open to learning more as we went along. As you can imagine, that was... Daunting. Quite something and an amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah, I would think it would be daunting for real. Colonel, anything that that jumps out for you? I I guess as I was thinking about it, the the things that are scary to me is when you're producing, especially I do a lot of reality TV. When you're producing a lot of reality TV, you're you're putting, you never know what circumstance you're going to be put in. And you kind of really have to know yourself. And I feel like I've gotten to know myself more by producing the shows because you're put in situations where you have moral dilemmas sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that, and, and I can't get, that's why I'm thinking I can't get into details because of confidentiality and all this, yeah. but there have been times where I know what's happening is going to harm the, the person that is involved. And and I look at that and I'm like, this is going to harm that person. And there's a, and I'm, and my job is to get a scene and to get this show. I really had to figure out like, where is my boundary? 
mm. of when I'm going to push and where I'm going to actually, when, when do I take my stop? And I say, no, I, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do it. And yeah. I, and so that's, there's been scary times for me within that. I can't tell you one story. I had a, I had a show it, that I was doing producing called Sunset Tan years ago. Sunset Tan. Sunset Tan. I loved that show, Colonel. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous show, right? Crazy, so, crazy. And it was very, what they call soft scripted, where, it, in fact, it was hard scripted, where it was the, but I didn't know it. I When I came on, they brought me on and, and I, the show was already running and, and they brought me on to produce some of the episodes and I didn't know it was fake. I thought it was real. And so my first segment, I'm, I'm talking to this mother who's forcing her 10-year-old daughter to get a spray tan. And the 10-year-old daughter's crying. I'm watching this footage. The daughter's crying. And so I get on with the mom. And I'm just tearing into this mom on the phone. And she says to me, she says, well, Colonel, you know it's fake, right? Like, my daughter's an actress and she, she wants to do this. And I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but at that moment, that was one of the first where I was like, am I going to quit this show? Like, am I, am I just going to quit this job? Now, that one was a, a happy, easy one. But there have right. been others that have been hard. And like I said, when I have to say scary, that's the thing where you're like, oh, my gosh, who am I? Will I, will I let this happen? And my boundary now is like, no, no kids. I, I, I don't do anything that messes with kids at all. Anybody else who volunteers, if you're an adult and you volunteer for a show and you make yourself look stupid, that's on you. But if you're a kid, I don't mess with you. you. You bring something up, which is there's a lot of conversations about what's real and what's not on reality TV. And so it's interesting to hear you say that, yeah, some of it really is completely fake. And, and that's, that's, you know, there's actors who are trying to make a living. So I appreciate that honesty. Thank you. Colonel, are you saying that reality shows are not real? Uh, so, uh, some of them are. I mean... As, especially back in the early, this wasn't even early, yeah. this was like mid, it was like, it, it's been, it's the wild west. I mean, and uh, you know, it, it, it is, the reality TV world is the wild west of, of yeah. you know. Yeah, that's one side of it. And you're absolutely correct. And we've all been there when it's been semi-scripted or go flip the table or whatever. But on the other hand, um, there's amazing stories to be told. And a lot, um, I would say a fair amount of the reality or docu-series, they're not scripted. You do, the producers and Colonel would have oversight of that. They do need to tell a story. So they do finesse a story, but there are plenty, you know, to show the opposite, there are plenty of shows that actually do, are authentic and show you exactly as it is. And they don't create something. So I, I just wanted to throw that out because I've seen both. So when people say reality television, people are always, oh, you know, oh, oh, it's made up. And Colonel knows as well. We we spend a lot of time in the field or back in the control room discussing story and trying to keep it authentic and letting the network know that's what we want to air and that's what you're buying, an authentic TV show. So, so there's both sides. Okay, so in that vein, the idea that there's roles for people to play on a reality show. There's character roles. And it seems that they always have a role for each person. There's the angry person. There's the withdrawn person. There's the whatever the, the typecast is. That still seems to be pretty pervasive in that they want to mix it up. 
and I'm thinking in particular on, on competitive shows. That's, that's where you see it most often. What, what are your thoughts on that? And because it, and I'll, let me just add another piece to that. The black people always get voted off first. <laughs> it is a microcosm of society, the way it's set up. And it's really turned me off from competitive shows nowadays because it's so obvious. And the fact that people haven't taken that seriously and decided to mix it up and make it a little bit more <laughs> equitable has really turned me off. So I throw that at you and I just want to get your response to that. I mean, I'd like to say that I would love to work with you further on that. I would love to get some examples and especially in this day and age, um, a lot of people are paying a lot more attention to everything. Mm. Um, but if there's a place where you feel that, you know, you're not seeing it or they do get voted off first, I just, I'd love to work with you on that. And look at that deeper. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, nobody was a bigger reality fan than me. I, I was on the front end of it. I was a champion of it. And what it's turned out to be and how I've seen this play itself out, it's really a huge disappointment to me. So I'd love to talk further about it. Colonel, any thoughts yeah. on that? Well, you, cause you, I think you're specifically talking about like competition reality shows. And, and so I think of like the ones that I've done, because I watch some competition reality, but, but I'm thinking about the ones that I've produced. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I mean, I've produced Pussycat Dolls, Search for the Next Doll, and 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 Girlicious, and there were a. I also produced Miss Rap Supreme. It was a lot of ethnicities on those shows, and right. and it was. Just, I think it was just a little different. I'm trying to think of, yeah. but I hear what you're saying. Like on the shows, that African Americans are often kicked off first. I, it's something that I have that I would definitely want to look at and be like, okay, let's let's see this because obviously that's something that's that's a huge deal. Especially in this day and age when it, it's a conversation to be had. I think it's a time to look at how it's played out. So I appreciate both of your uh, perspectives on that. Um, one more question, and Susie, I'm going to throw it to you. The idea that becoming a producer was something that you kind of climbed the ladder to become. Was this your end game? Is this what you wanted for yourself? Are you where you wanted to be? Colonel? I, I, <laughs> I'm throwing to you, Colonel. <laughs> this isn't my end game. No, I'm going to keep going. I mean, I... I I it's I did want to get to like next level next level. I wanted to get to show running for sure. I get a buzz out of coming up with something, creating something, and then I get a buzz every time other people want to watch it. It still blows my mind. I'm like, people want to watch something that I did? Like that's awesome. It's the greatest feeling. It's a it's a rush, it's a high. I want but I've been here now. I've been executive producing and running shows. I want the next thing. That's just my personality. And yeah, yeah, I do want the next thing. What, whether that be kind of getting to the point where I'm overseeing many shows at once um, mm -hmm. or something else. I just, I, I definitely do want to uh, keep creating and, and take it to the next level and challenge myself. I Colonel, think that's the I best love way to what do you it. just said. And I'm thinking um, in my past life, I was Colonel's agent. And I've known you one way as someone that networks and buyers and production companies have come back to me and said, oh, he's so strong. What's he doing next? And now I'm working with both of you on this virtual age march. And I'm watching you put every crumb of creativity. And I was never aware of how much work goes into one idea, one project, how it really takes so much imagination and creativity 
that I think is so invisibilized by the end of the product, right? So we watch TV and we have no idea, JD and I, how you and Julie do what you do, but yet there it is on the screen. What is that process, the creative process that you both take yourselves through in order to achieve the vision that gets interrupted or contaminated by other people? How do you stay true to the vision? Well, for me on the network side, we make sure that we're buying something that is organic and natural and maybe we'll get some eyeballs. If it's a competition show or like I said, a docu-series and you just need to put together a strong team. Like Colonel, you know, he's an amazing producing partner and we wear different hats. You know, and crossing him over into overseeing more projects, you know, fits you more into like the network side of things or the production company overseeing a lot. And it's just more, you have to know how to produce. It's math, it's organization, it's contact, and it's relationship. And most of all, it's the, it's just knowing how to build that house. Can I say something about what Julie said earlier? Julie kind of, in a way, answered that question you just asked, Susie, because she was talking about how at the end, like when you, she brought it, like when you're dealing with the network, it mm-hmm. seems all kind of like effortless in a way and seamless. And that's what you're talking about. And I think that that totally is the goal, like to make it look, I, I often say like we create mm-hmm. a passive experience for people. I want mm-hmm. people to sit back, we're t- you relax, we're taking you on a journey. This is passive. We're going to do the work so you get to sit in your chair. It's not a video game. You know, this is, you're not out playing sports. You get to have a passive experience and we are going to emotionally that? take you somewhere. And, and that's, and, and there's ton, and that you're seeing there's tons of work that goes into this. You'll never, unless you do it, you'll never yeah. know. And when you start at the bottom, you see what it takes and it takes more than a village. It really does. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, but when you get enough under your belt, you can remain kind of fluid and nimble. You know, this project needs to look this, like while Colonel's out in the field, let's say producing or editing, on the network side, I'm going, how are we going to schedule this? How many times can we repeat it? What if I want to pick up a second season? So my wheels are constantly going. And um, it's all, we all just want success. You know, and that's you just use the word sort of at the bottom, right? And and I'm thinking back to what JD had said, how has your whiteness protected you in your climb to the top? I I'm Julie, do you mind if I start this one off? I'm I'm gonna verbalize that it's hard for me to even and, and JD, you asked the other question earlier about black people being kicked off the shows earlier. And now Susie, you're asking one. This is hard for me. It is hard because, and I'm just going to voice that Thank and I'm going to answer it and fumble through this, but I'm going to tell you this, that it's hard because I have lived in this, this whole time. And it's actually only now. And, and I've, it's changed my, my whole perspective on whiteness and everything has changed over time. And it, but it's, it really is the the situation we're in now where it's it's right here, and that's something that is that 
I'm personally in the process of going, okay. And, you know, with my kids and with the thing and going, okay, what stuff that just seemed like, yeah, this is just how life is, but hold on. It's not like this for everybody to have that kind of empathy and that kind of understanding it. I'm in the process of doing that right now. And I think a lot of people, a lot of, I mean, the country's in this reckoning right now. It's happening right now. And I don't, it's, it's like, it obviously has been an asset, not just whiteness, but yeah. I'm a yeah. white man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, there's been the advantages to that. And, you know, just it, the un, even the unseen things and the unseen ways or the, uh, the stuff that isn't apparent to me that uh, how maybe I've come off and I have that has been interpreted different ways by different people. And, and, you know, it's that, that is something that absolutely right now is, like I said, the country's going through that reckoning. I'm definitely going through it too. And thinking about it and like, ah, this is definitely helped. Thank you, honestly, so much for sharing that. And what you're talking about is your privilege, right? And it is white male privilege. And I don't know if you know this, Colonel, but JD was my professor in grad school and she taught a class called Multicultural Mental Health. And of all the classes I've ever taken in my life, that was the hardest one because I didn't know about my privilege. It wasn't hard because we had to write papers, but we did. It was hard to come to terms with, oh, wait, I've been seeing the world through this lens exclusively, and it hasn't given me or I haven't taken it to the next level to understand my privilege and how to act upon it in positive ways. I've just taken it for granted. J.D., do you have anything to say? I want to check in with you before we go to Julie. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I wanted to invite you in. Uh, well, I no, I, I thoroughly appreciate what you said, Colonel. I really do. I felt you on that. I feel your authenticity in realizing that it's time to see things through other lenses. So I, I just appreciate that response. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Jules? I'm trying to figure out where JD's question intersects with my experience. And the example I wanted to give is being at a network, somebody comes in and pitches us a show. And we try to set the tone of the show. We talk about cast. We talk about talent, everything. But we, like at Lifetime, have been very, very mindful of who we're going to cast in a show. We hit every demo. Lifetime was constantly, and the other networks as well, constantly putting us through focus groups and educating us as far as how to be as colorful, so to speak, as possible. And to just always be mindful of it. And it happens from day one when we buy the show. It happens when we're casting the show and they bring in big foam cores, foam, you know, plastic uh, sheets for us to look at as cast. And we make sure that we, that we cover every base. It goes through standards and practices. When you're doing a competition show, all this, like I did Project Runway for years. And if you look at that, I'm, I'm not sure that's a good example because I feel like, you know, I know we did very diverse, but the conversation should always continue. And in my experience, the networks and the chiefs at the networks have always given us, their, their employees, 
the opportunities to learn more. And, you know, that I'm really grateful for. And we take that out. Yeah, I appreciate that. I do. I don't think it happens all the time. And it's evident in what the end product is. But it's, it's really refreshing to hear that it does happen somewhere in it. And, you know, and it's, it's in the thought process. I appreciate hearing that. Well, I also, because I've worked with you, Julie, in the past, and I've known you for so long, I also know that you stand up. You stand up to inclusion and equality because that's who you are. And I'm wondering, holding that and holding... LGBT, being a gay woman, and being a woman, how that has affected you and your identity as you've risen through the ranks, starting out, you know, 30 years ago when the world was a different place. I might be a rare example of somebody who maybe moved through it with some difficulty early on in my career, but it stopped. And I, as I started getting accolades or getting the network jobs where they really appreciated my hard work, it was easy to be who I am, to walk into big executive meetings, who I am. And, you know, I'd be lying if I, you know, I wasn't perfect the whole time. And, you know, when you're working for so many years to get up the ladder, you know, you sacrifice something and something fell to the wayside. And so when... You asked earlier, or maybe Jay, what's next for you? You know, um, and for me, it's to still do the work I'm doing, but I would like to. I, I'm my. I've been finding more balance, and by doing that, I'm finding I'm so much more productive, mm-hmm. efficient, and aware and awake. And so now I'm encouraging people. You know, start at the bottom and take every job, but don't ever forget who you are. And take that time out and check in with yourself and be kind to everybody, no matter what they look like, who they love. I mean, seriously. Well, you're talking about authenticity and, and the one thing that many things shine through about you, but always being so truthful and authentic, authentically Julie Stern is kind of miraculous when I think about I worked with Julie at Disney 30 years ago and it was just a different world and everyone was hiding something. It just wasn't a safe place. And that journey is incredible. And hearing what you just said, just being truthful and authentic, that's who I am. And I tell other people to do that and I stand up for justice. So thank you for being so incredible and inspiring. And now I'm going to give you guys an easier question. Oh boy, Colonel, here it comes. Okay. So I'm sure everyone out there wants to be you, both of you. How do they do it? What do you tell them? I want to be Colonel. <laughs> oh, I want to be Julie. <laughs> we have the Colonel and the General. Love that. <laughs> How do people out there who want to be you, who want to get into television or film or meet this kind of life, what do they do? What is your advice to them? And I know both of you are big mentors. Well, here's what I tell everybody I mentor, including my son who wants to do it. I, I, uh, first and foremost, whatever you want to do, do it. If you want to be a director, do direct. If you want to be an actor, act. Get, do the thing you want to be. 
And that comes first because when the opportunity, because the opportunities, they don't, they don't always come, but they do come. And when they come, if you know how to do the thing you want to do, or you have a passion for it, like I'll tell you, when I see some of the people that I'm working with that are young and then they come in and I see their, their gung ho about it and whatnot, I, I've absolutely hired people. I'll, bring, I'll hire them for their first gig because I'm like, that person wants to do this and loves it and has a passion for it. Let's go. And they're, and, and start off by just doing the thing you want to do, whatever that thing is. So it sounds like you really respect the hunger, like really, really how badly they want it and showing their passion and, mm-hmm. and working hard to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jules. You know, for years, people have asked me that. They're like, how do I get started? What do I do? How'd you do it? And I said the same thing Colonel did. Just get started. Any opportunity that comes your way, go for it. And it may not be right on the money. You know, I wanted to be a director. My dad said, learn how to use a calculator and a typewriter or a keyboard and you'll always have a job. So my first production job was as an assistant production accountant at a production company, and I was stapling checks to the check copies just so I could see what they were paying for things. Wow. So during the week, I was learning on my own, and on the weekends, I volunteered on set. I pulled cable, I got coffee, and I, I moved into coordinating, then managing, and that's how I did it. And I, I agree with Colonel. That's what I would tell people to do, but sometimes you run up against somebody who just feels like they should walk right in and the pot of gold is right there. But I still believe in hard work and it takes, but it works both ways. They need to work hard and it's up to people like the four of us to mentor people and be awake and recognize they're working hard. They might not be the best, but maybe they are, you know, and, and they're working so hard and they want it so bad. Give them a chance. That's how I got here. It feels like it has to, it has something to do with being in the right place though as well. I mean, I, I didn't have the self-esteem to really know that I, to even ask the question, how do I, you know, I was just trying to figure out my way out of the web. And so it's, it has, it has to have something to do with being in the right place, showing up in the right place to ask that question. And, and if you're lucky enough, then you have somebody like either of you who can just give that boost of confidence and direction. I mean, that's a huge gift you offer. Yeah. Colonel, I asked Julie a question about identity. You just mentioned that you have a son who wants to be in it. Does he want to be an actor or a stand-up? He does. He does do stand-up. He does. Uh, he before, you know, before the quarantine, he was doing under 18 open mic. He's been doing it since he was 15. He'd go to the open mic nights and get up there with a bunch of drunken, drugged out comedians. Uh, <laughs> that would just be uh, and really get up there and, uh, just, and and hold his own. He did well. You know, he's doing well. So yeah, he wants to do that. But he also wants to produce and he well, he wants to produce and direct his stuff and write and do the whole thing. You know, he's got it. He wants to do all that stuff. Well, I'm wondering for you. You made this successful transition from being a in front of the camera to behind the camera. What is hard about that, and what do you perceive that maybe your son will have difficulty with? I mean, my son and I are very different in that I, I think there's a, and, and I think this this is actually with producing well uh, as well. Julie and, and Julie's a, a, a kind of a, a 
a master of this, I would have to say, is that there's a thing where you have to have this supreme confidence. You have to almost, you, you, because so much comes at you all the time, both in acting, like you have to have this, you have to have this boldness and in producing as well, you have to have a boldness and a confidence and yet um, not having, not have the, the, the difference between the producing, I think, and the acting is that the ego has to, you have to keep your ego in check with the producing. This is something like I was saying, Julie's amazing at like the, the being able to like not have an inflated ego. Um, And I think, so my, my son, and, and you have to like really be able to kind of still be able to empathize, like you were saying, be kind to people and kind of keep that kind of level headedness. I think that with my son, he's very different in that he's, he's not as kind of like, I don't know, aggressively bold as I have been. And then like, I can do anything, you know, and, and come out there and, you know, ah, take this hill. Um, He'll, he'll go up there and do it, but he's got, he is more humble. So I actually think he would transition better than I did. Cause when you're on the other side of the camera, it's really about your, you're really my, like the goal has to be make everyone else look great. Like I always, that's, that's how I keep my ego in check. I'm like, my job is to make everyone else feel and look great at the end of this. I, I, that's it. I'm here to service, to serve others where kind of like on the, in the camera, I need to look if I'm the one acting, I, if everything relies on me to be in the spotlight. Yeah. JD, it's so funny because I was thinking about our, our show where we had the women behind the badge and they were saying that they see themselves as servants, like to make the world, the public safe. And it's just, I, I hadn't thought about the way you've described your job is so, I hadn't thought about it like that. And I really appreciate like who you are as a person and who you are as a producer and how it's so integrated. JD has some questions next. I think we should throw the game in here to lighten it up or maybe not lighten it up. Go ahead, Susie. It's word association with Susie and JD. So we're going to throw out a word and you're going to come back at us with a word. Racism. Real. And... Privilege. Me. Life. Fear. Trust. Bravery. Bravery, trust. Nice. Failure. Success. (laughs) (laughs) Jules. Success. Nice. Yeah. Change. Always. Part of life. Memory. Conflicting. Awesome. Wow, you guys. That was great. That was great. Uh, Who's scoring? No score. (laughs) No score. Okay, okay. Do you have our list, Colonel, for them? We all won. We all won with your responses. <laughs> now, you guys, for people who want to reach you, who want to see you, where can they find you? Well, for me, I'm just redoing my website, so that'll be announced shortly. Great, perfect, Colonel. Uh, Facebook. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Although I'm not as active on Instagram, I do post some pictures. <laughs> 
So I have I have one final question for you. But first, I want to thank you both yeah. immensely. It's really educational and you were authentic and totally appreciate it and value everything that you said. So thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I want to wrap it up with, if you could do one thing to change the world, what would it be? Stay involved. If I could do one thing, I would open the lines of communication with everyone. Excellent. Nice. Both of you. Wow. Susie, you have anything you want to add before we say goodbye? No, I'm super inspired and I'm really grateful for being able to sit here and really appreciate who you both are and what you both do and what you both contribute because it's kind of selfless. And not many people realize what they just see the fanciness and the red carpets and producer. And now you humanized it. So thank you. Don't miss your opportunity to humanize something. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And then there's that. Yeah, Excellent. that part. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. You got it. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.